We'll hear argument next to number 968653, Kevin D. Gray v. Maryland. Chief Justice, may it please the court. In this case, the prosecution was entitled to use co-defendant Bell's confession to prove Bell's guilt and nothing more. Bell's confession contained two admissions that completely and fairly accomplished this purpose. In his confession, Bell admitted both hitting and beating Stacy Williams. The remaining portion of Bell's confession, which focused exclusively on establishing the role of and the identity of Bell's alleged accomplices served no legitimate purpose. The remaining portions of Bell's confession were nothing more than unreliable hearsay. The remaining portions of Bell's confession should not have been admitted because they created for Petitioner a totally unnecessary risk of prejudice for Petitioner. The use of the terms deleted and deletion in this case did not, in the words of the trial judge, sanitize Bell's confession. Uh, the words, if anything, uh, drew the jury's attention to the fact that a name had been omitted. They, in a sense, acted as a red flag to the jury. Mr. Delano, do you take the view that if this had been redacted a little differently so that it didn't show deletion and so that it said, uh, for example, uh, Who was in the group that beat Stacy? If it just said me and a few other guys, for example, that would be okay. I do not take that position, Your Honor. Uh, you don't think there is any way this could have been redacted that would satisfy you? Oh, I disagree. Uh, it could have been redacted. What do you disagree with? I, I disagree that it could have been redacted to, to allow in the simple statement that I I hit and I. Uh, stuck the victim. Uh, that is the but only. But you don't part. think it could be redacted to say me and a few other guys? I don't believe that it's necessary, Your Honor. Uh, well, I'm not asking whether it's necessary. I'm asking whether it can be permitted constitutionally. It should not. And be it looks to me like that doesn't point to anybody. If you say me and a few other guys, it does not point to a specific no. person. What it does. And the evidence in this case showed there was quite a gang of men who were involved somehow, or who at least confronted Stacy at one point. In this case, it would Only not... Only two were charged. In this, in this case, uh, Justice Conner, it would not have been extremely prejudicial. No. But the point I'm trying to make is that evidence served no legitimate purpose. Since it served no legitimate purpose, it should not have been admitted. Well, served no legitimate That several other witnesses were, several other persons were involved. In other words, there's no reason that Bell's confession needed to include that information. That information was not in dispute at the trial. Well, don't you think it would unduly favor your client if, uh, if, if all they introduce is, is a statement that, you know, I beat him up, so it looks as though there wasn't a crowd of people? And the jury looks at your client, or at, at the other defendant, and says, "Gee, I guess he did it." And looks at your client, and says, "According to this fellow, there was nobody else there." Does the court have to let it in on that basis? Justice Scalia, uh, my position would have to be that um, it, it is uh, it is unnecessary if it were if admitted for solely for the purpose of uh, putting the statement in context. Mr. Blader, why must it must your position? Why did you put this in terms of has to be? I thought you were emphasizing that when the transcript, that when what, what the jury sees says delete blank space, that that juts out. Isn't there a difference, whether you're wrong about the other, of, of a, um, something that shows delete blank and something that says, and a couple of other guys? 
Under the facts of this case, uh, uh, Justice Ginsburg, it doesn't make a difference. Uh, it, it, it doesn't, you say? It, it, it's not a significant difference, no. Under the facts of this case, I believe that the, the, the thrust of my argument is the use of the terms deleted and deletion, which drew the attention. But you said a moment ago that it, some, that it, was, it wasn't necessary for it the state. And where does that figure into the Bruton-Marsh calculus? I don't recall those cases uh, first analyzing where the, whether the uh, evidence was, quote, necessary, close quote, for the prosecution. Under, under Bruton and Marsh, the, the attention it seems to be focused towards the end of the process in terms of using a limiting instruction to... Uh, there, were, there was no analysis at all of, of necessity. There is, in those particular cases, there is no analysis of necessity. That is correct. So why do you but, bring it up here? Are you asking us to extend? No, I'm not ask, asking. I'm trying to put it in, in a context uh, that, that would show that, although in this case it may not be necessary for the resolution of this case because the thrust of my argument is the use of the term deleted and deletion, that the use of what the, the respondent refers to as neutral pronouns is very uh, misleading. Uh, there are, for example, in this case, had there been no other witnesses and we were simply looking at Bell's statement and Bell said that uh, I hit uh, the victim, but he beat the victim, he dropped the victim on his head. On its face, that statement is, is neutral, but in that context, the prosecution is unnecessarily benefiting from a statement that they should not well, why, why receive Well, why do you say unnes unnecessarily? I mean, ordinarily, evidence is admissible, and, you, you know, you have to show some reason why it isn't. This certainly sounds like relevant evidence. It's un un unnecessary because it serves really no legitimate purpose. But, but wh where do you get that analysis from? It, I mean, it, it doesn't come out of Bruton. It doesn't come out of Marsh. And yet that, that is the basis on which the Maryland Court of Appeals decided this case. as I understand the reason for my position, is that the parts that are properly admitted are admitted because they incriminate the maker of the statement. The other parts of the statement that uh, serve no purpose other than to perhaps put the statement in some sort of a context. Since context is not in dispute in this case, they seem to me to be uh, superfluous. Let me well, ask you, you something else. Uh, what, what, Bell's statement strikes me as maybe a declaration against Bell's penal interest. Is that possible? Only a limited... Ad admissible as a result on that basis. Your Honor's opinion in Williamson uh, with a declaration of uh, penal interest uh -huh. was very careful to limit it strictly to declarations against the interest of the, 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 the party making the statement. Uh, to the extent that he admitted, I hit the victim, I beat the victim, it is a declaration against interest. Beyond that, it is not a declaration against interest. As in Williamson, I believe uh, just, Justice Ginsburg, in her concurring opinion, was pointed out the confusion that exists where a, a declaration of uh, interest is really not a declaration against interest. And I think that's what we have in this situation. We only have a very small portion of Bell's confession that actually deals with his involvement. Well, certainly some of it does, and I would assume, uh, at least to that extent, it's admissible on that basis. That, that is correct. I have no quarrel with the parts that are incriminating only to Bell. The bulk of the statement, however, is focused on establishing the role of the other participants. Uh, there is no need for that evidence. Uh, it allows that evidence to be used for one purpose and one purpose only, to incriminate petitioner. I, I would like to go back to the very first question that Justice O'Connor had because I want to be clear about your answer and, I, and I, I'm not sure I understood it. The statement is altered so that it said who was in the group that beat Stacy and the, the redacted statement does not use words delete, deleted, it does not have white out, it just says me and a few other guys. Should that be admitted by the trial judge? And if not, why not? In, my position is it should not be admitted by the trial judge. If it is, as in this case, admitted by the trial judge, it would perhaps be harmless error in light of the other evidence presented at trial. Does the admission of the, the statement, as, as I have described it, violate the Confrontation Clause? The, the admission uh, does, in my opinion, violate the Confrontation Clause because it incriminates other persons. It, it does not strictly incriminate 
person who made the but, statement. But, but, but the it, test is not whether it incriminates other persons. It's whether there's a, an, an inevitable inference that inculpates the non-confessing co-defendant, in the, in, not other persons. There are no other persons here before us who are making that argument. We're not concerned about them. We're concerned about the co-defendant, aren't we? Yes, right. That's the only one. So I don't understand your answer. My answer is that the, the, the substantial risk of prejudice arose from the use of the terms deleted prejudice and deletion. To prejudice to the petitioner. The, the use of the terms deleted and deletion. Okay, and you agree that the risk of prejudice is, 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 is a, world apart, a world of difference depending on whether you use the word deleted uh, or whether you use a generic term like me and some other guys. There's a big difference, isn't there? Absolutely, Your Honor. Okay. In this case, I, I, I think common experience, there's no other reason for the use of the term deleted other than to point to the other defendant. You, you well, understand that? I, I, I must say, I, I don't understand why there's a world of difference. Well, Your Honor... It, don't these other guys have names? The, the common experience, I, mean, I think, of, of uh, most people today is that uh, whenever there's, uh, as on television, there's the blip uh, that, that uh, uh, senses a word, uh, immediately you focus in on the blip. You immediately think what was omitted. Uh, in this case, in that case, there may be five or six possible words that were omitted. But, but in this case... But don't you, if you're talking about redacting it to, instead of putting in a blip, you're putting in a brackets and some other guys? Or, or, or is this the actual statement we're talking about? This, the, in, the, in the statement, uh, there, were, there were whited out spaces, yeah. in, in, and then comma, whited out spaces. Well, and no then no the one suggests that instead of whiting them out, you could put in bracket and some other guys. Close bracket. No, Your Honor. You don't know of any redactions. I mean, no, redactions, I not. Th that's not an option. So you either use the statement blanking out stuff, or you don't use the statement. You can't recreate the statement with, with brackets. That is correct. Or there's no, in a, this case, no, there's a third option, the, the Justice O'Connor question. The, the statement as we have it is me, deleted, deleted, and a few other guys. Uh, the question put to you was, suppose it just said me and a few other guys without showing any deletion. So that's a third option. That is correct, John. I, I, I do not want to have the court left with the impression that my case risers or falls on, on the several other guys. The, the, the extreme prejudice in this case comes from the use deleted and deletion. In context, several other guys is consistent with other testimony at trial. Was Moss different in that respect? Did Moss have the delete uh, white out? Marsh, uh, in Marsh, the, from the reading of the statement itself, you would have no idea of the, even the existence of another person. So it is, it is quite different from this. This case is not that much different from Bruton in that the, the word deleted is not that much different from the use of a person's actual name. And again, focusing on the use of deleted and several other witnesses, I think the juxtaposition of those terms aggravates the situation because had it been redacted to just say several other witnesses, the jury's attention would not have been drawn to the fact that names well, were re omitted. Well, well what, what do you say the jury would, would likely infer from the word deleted? I think the jury would uh, be left with no other conclusion than that it was petitioner's name and Tank's name. Now, which deleted referred to petitioner and which deleted referred to Tank is some, a matter that they could speculate on. Well, and, and why, is, why is that? Why do, you why do you say the jury would most likely have reached that conclusion? If it calls to the jury's attention that a, a name has been removed, in the context of this trial, there is no need to remove any other name other than the defendant's name. Well, but the, certainly there was evidence that other people other than those who were indicted uh, had participated, was it, were there not? Correct, but there was no reason to delete the names of those other persons. The only name... Well, but the jury doesn't know that. The, the, the jury isn't apprised of, of the Bruton rule. The jury, I think, uh, Mr. Justice uh, is, Rehnquist, is, is uh, aware of common usage of the word deleted, common usage of uh, blipping on television. Uh, it's the same as when you re receive, at least when I receive a letter and something is blacked out on the letter, your attention is drawn immediately to the blacked out portion of the letter and you try to figure out what is there. 
Uh, that but, is the problem we have but, here. But here, if, if the jurors do sit and try to figure out what is there, they could have come to not just one, but it seems to be several conclusions. It could have referred to any one of the people whom testimony indicated had participated in this thing, some of whom were not the co-defendants. The, the, the only testimony that referred to specific... There were two witnesses in this case, and both only identified... Uh, there were only two names ever used at trial other than the uh, bell, the, the name of petitioner and the name of tank. No other names were mentioned but by what, any other wasn't witness. there testimony that other people, or perhaps not by name, had participated? There was other testimony that uh, several other witnesses uh, were involved. That is correct. But the jury, I believe, with the, the term deleted, would, would be left to draw no other conclusion than why, do, why put this term in here if we're not trying to keep something from us. Mr. Uh, Delano, would you tell us what you think the test is for determining a Bruton violation in these circumstances? As I understand it, the court below applied a test to the effect that a Bruton violation occurs when a co-defendant's confession, either facially or by compelling an inevitable inference, inculpates a non-confessing defendant. Are you satisfied with that? I'm not satisfied with that test. I believe that test is too stringent. Uh, I, I don't believe that the, 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 the defense should have the burden or that there should be uh, an, an inevitable uh, to that conclusion. I think if a, if a juror could reasonably draw the conclusion, that is sufficient because then if the jury can reasonably draw that conclusion, that creates a substantial have, risk. Have we adopted a test here I mean, what, what do you rely on as pointing us to the proper test to be used? The test that the court has thus far used is the, the language whether it creates a substantial risk of, of prejudice to the other defendant, uh, I believe. And you think that's not as strict as compelling an inevitable inference? Clearly not. The Court of Special Appeals um, adopted what I would consider the proper test, which is the paraphrasing the test that the court used in Bruton and referred to the, that there existed in this case a substantial risk that the um, jury would be forced to the conclusion that deleted and deletion referred to petitioner. And I think that is the, the test that should be used. The introduction of, of the uh, uh, co-defendant's uh, redacted confession clearly had a devastating effect on petitioner's case. As I earlier observed, there were only two witnesses in this case. There was only one eyewitness to the actual beating. The, the other witness saw the parties running towards the scene, and that witness's testimony was uh, consistent with uh, petitioner's defense. Uh, the statement, as admitted, uh, provided corroboration for that witness's testimony as to the parties involved. I think prejudice from that was clear. In addition, in the state, in a prosecution, whether it was a deliberate or, or, or deliberate or unintentional, uh, sort of drew together the, the, the statement that was used and the arrest of Petitioner to, to sort of make it very clear to the jury that this statement actually led to Petitioner's arrest. So in that sense, it was also prejudicial. If the court has no further questions, I would reserve the remainder of my time for rebuttal. Very well, Mr. Delano. Uh, Ms. Shepard, we'll hear from you. Mr. Chief Justice, and may it please the court. The statement, who was in the group that beat Stacy, me, deleted, deleted, and other guys, communicates only that Mr. Bell and others committed a crime. Then why are they bothering to delete it? I, I'm not entirely clear why they bothered to delete it. It was one of the many options. Um, certainly no one asked for the option, me, and then delete everything until you get to other guys. No, but isn't, isn't the juror's reasonable reaction on hearing that to ask the question, why are they placing this word deletion in place of whatever it was he spoke? And isn't the, the, the likely answer to that question because it refers to this other guy in the other chair here? I, I disagree, Your Honor. I believe that the natural conclusion is something is missing here. Beyond that, it is possible a juror but, might... But the juror would never say, gee, I wonder what it is? 
The juror very well might even say, and I wonder did, what it what is. Would, what would he be likely to conclude? We think that what the juror would be likely to conclude is what the, co- uh, the court noted in Richardson, which is maybe it is the name of a person, but I can't well, even use that. it's the name of a person, don't they? Well, it could be... I mean, it, doesn't the context make that clear beyond doubt? Perhaps in this case... It's a really slow jury if they can't figure out these are names of people. Let me give you an example. Towards the end of the statement, who has Park Heights jackets, it simply says, as read by the detective, it just said, delete it. In that instance, for example, there's not even a mention of whether it's one, two, three, four names. Isn't isn't that only what? I mean, what's the jury supposed to think? Uh, They they deleted it because uh, uh, John Smith, uh, who's not in the courtroom, his name is in there? I mean, what what is the jury supposed to think? I, I think... I think, Your Honor, that the jury thinks much like it thinks when there's an objection that's sustained that evidence doesn't come in. There is something here that we're not allowed to consider as evidence. It is possible that a juror might go on to conclude, and that could be a specific name. It could be a specific person. But there's nothing necessarily in simply the fact of a redaction or the fact of a deletion that would necessarily lead a jury to conclude, A, that it's the identity of someone, and, and even further, that it has to be the identity of this now, one other let, person. Let me ask you something else. I mean, I, I think your inference isn't as generous as it has to be, but what if the deletion in the one statement that we're going back to uh, made it read in answer, me and a few other guys, without deletion and deletion in there? Is that less likely? Uh, that the jury would draw the inference that uh, the petitioner was one of the people? I don't think so, Your Honor. I think that would exalt form over substance. That is, the statement, me and a few other guys, me, and then followed maybe by six blanks, five blanks, both communicate the same thing, or a mixture thereof two blanks and then some other guys, or even three blanks and some other guys. Well, the, the one communicates uh, simply there were some other guys. The other communicates not just that there were some other guys, but that there's some reason why you can't name one of those other guys. It surely communicates that to the jury. It, it, and, it, and what do you think the reason probably is? Well, that Your Honor, the other defendant. Not necessarily. It could be no, a presidential informant. It could be someone who's awaiting trial. There are many Shepard, it was a very fine jurist who once said on this subject, the temptation to fill in the blanks is nigh irresistible. I don't think you have to have a legal mind to see that. The natural, uh, when one is faced with a blank, one thinks, well, which one was it? I wouldn't disagree with you, Your Honor. That is, we don't need to resolve this case by concluding that a juror would not speculate as to what could be there. That is, we would concede that a juror might speculate, that a juror might even speculate there's a name, and that a juror might even wonder. That that speculation would be nigh irresistible. Perhaps. And if the government could get across the same information without having name deleted or whiteout, why isn't that the appropriate way to proceed? I think, Your Honor, because ultimately the question of what, how a statement needs to be redacted is one that requires a balancing of a great many factors. Whether in one case it's better in some way to use a Richardson redaction or to use a deletion might change from statement may, may to statement. May I interrupt with just one question, yeah. if I may? The, on one side of the scale is you want to get all of the statement in that tends to incriminate the maker of the statement, Bill. And you have no right to put anything in that doesn't incriminate him. Isn't that correct? And you have a statement in here, who else has these jackets? Answer, deletion. What possible purpose could that question serve in terms of the proper purpose for the confession, namely incriminating Bell? Your Honor, I wouldn't argue that that statement is necessary. It simply wasn't redacted. No one requested that it be redacted. The identities were redacted. There was no objection. There was no objection to the form of the redaction in this particular instance. Um, Really? They accepted this as without objection? Correct, Your Honor. They did not suggest, I'm not meaning to suggest that they did not object to the confession coming in, but they did not object to this form of redaction. That is, that the use of blanks or deleted versus a retyping versus um, uh, the use of a pseudonym, for example. There was no suggestion. Ms. Shepard, uh, did the trial court char- charge the jury, in this case at the time that 
Bell's can, that it was to be used only against him? And did so, Your Honor, in very clear and unmistakable terms. So if the jury followed that instruction, it would not have used it against uh, Mr. Gray? That's correct, Your Honor, and that is precisely our, our argument. Well, I guess the instruction was given in the Bruton case, too, wasn't it? Um, true, Your Honor. Yeah, but the court nonetheless held in that case there was a violation of the Confrontation Clause. Because, Your Honor, if that confession on its face expressly inculpated the defendant. That is, there is a significance. Yeah. Sig well, and I guess this court left open in Marsh whether a redacted confession would be okay, didn't it? Correct, Your so Honor. That's what we're trying to decide here. Would you help us with what test you think we ought to use? Yes, Your Honor. I believe the issue of redaction, what to redact, how to redact, should be left in the first instance to the trial court based on the feasibility of redaction. In some instances, that'll be the practical feasibility. Is it a video, for example, may make it very difficult to redact without indicating there has been a delay. Well, so if it's too difficult to redact, the whole thing comes in? Is that what we you're arguing? I would be arguing against that, for example. I'm using a video as a way to suggest that redactions that indicate there's a deletion are perhaps inevitable, for example, through the use of video, unless, of course, the cost were not to allow video confessions, which... I, I thought you were going to help us with an articulation of what the test is. The Maryland court below applied this either facially or by compelling an inevitable inference inculcates the non-confessing defendant. Yes. Is that the right test? The petitioner says no, that it should be whether there's a substantial risk that it would inculpate the division, the, the co-defendant, which is drawn from language of our earlier opinions. What is the test? What should it be? Your Honor, we, we share the view of the Maryland Court of Appeals and the view that you previously expressed as to, um, as to the test. It should focus on whether the confession expressly implicates, identifies a defendant, or does the equivalent of identifying the defendant. Why, why should we adopt uh, anything other than the most rigorous of tests? I mean, what's the big deal? If, if you're worried about the redaction, you could try the other individual separately. Well, well Your Honor, there is... An then you can get the whole thing in in its, in, in its full term. We're not, it seems to me that I'm not very sympathetic to your... Uh, uh, to your insistence that uh, that we have to allow the redaction unless there's a certainty that the jury's going to fill it in with the name of the of the other defendant. Try the two separately. Then you get the whole thing in, word for word. The, the reason for that, Your Honor, is the judgment, we believe, correct in our case, that this court has recognized before, that joint trials are of vi vital importance to our system, that there is a cost to foregoing a joint trial a cost to society, a cost to the administration of the criminal justice system, sometimes a cost to one of the co-defendants whose best shot at a defense is to stand side by side with someone who's more culpable. Those are very real costs that this court has previously recognized. And th those arguments would have uh, even greater weight if Bruton itself were somehow questionable, if we were using this rule because Bruton was too harsh. So, uh, I have seen nothing in the commentary or in the brief to suggest that latter proposition, though. I, it, it is a given, is it not, or maybe I'm incorrect, that Bruton is absolutely correct. There was a cardinal violation of confrontation when you cannot examine a witness uh, who implicates you by a previous statement. Or am I incorrect about that? Well, uh, let me answer it this way. Justice Kennedy, I believe in some ways that is incorrect. That is, Bruton does rest on a value judgment. What do we think jurors will do? It is an issue of fact that is unprovable and unknowable. Well, does it rest on uh, what you call a value judgment after everyone adopts the premise that there would be a confrontation problem, that there is a confrontation violation if the, dis if the uh, statement comes in and there can be no cross-examination. If one assumes that the jury cannot follow the instruction not to use this evidence against a particular defendant. Were there, was there statistical evidence in Bruton indicating that juries don't follow instructions like that? There was not, and there still is not. That is, the statistics or the studies, to the extent they're even capable of divining jury behavior, indicate that jurors try to follow instructions, 
that where the instructions are clear, that's what they will endeavor to do. And we do know this much from our practical experience. The day after day in trial courts, jurors are told, not even by co-defendants, but by the prosecutor, we believe, we the state, believe this person is guilty of a crime. In opening statement and closing statements, those jurors are told that is not evidence. And juries are capable of making decisions based on the evidence. Well, I guess Bruton is wrong then. Is that, is that, I mean, if, if all that is true, uh, Bruton, Bruton was wrong. We don't need well, to We've decide. assumed the opposite of what you're saying. We don't need to decide that issue, Your Honor. Well, Honest. and Maryland didn't cross-petition and bring that here, did it? We did not, and that issue is not before the court. We're not urging the no. court but to do it. But you certainly could case. have. Given your view, it's rather surprising that you didn't, isn't it? Well, Your Honor, I... How do you, I, how do you I, explain that? I explain that, Your Honor, to this extent. That is, we understand Bruton. Bruton lays down a rule that can be followed. What we are here today for is to make, is to argue that that area, that area where the court has said juries cannot be trusted, is not expanded beyond the statement, this co-defendant committed the crime, to an area where the statement is simply, and all it communicates is, someone else committed the crime. That is, a group of people committed the crime. That is not the kind of statement that Bruton recommends. It isn't just someone else. It's someone else whose name I am not allowed to tell you in this trial. Even if you go that far, Justice Scalia. Someone else. But even beyond that, the next question by the prosecutor after reading the statement, all right now, officer, after he gave you that information, you subsequently were able to arrest Mr. Kevin Gray. Is that correct? Didn't that pretty much create an inference that they've been talking about, Gray? I, I think not, Your Honor, and let me answer that question two ways. One is, there was no objection um, to that um, at that point in the defense, so that hasn't been preserved. Perhaps it might not have been very wise tactics to get up and start screaming right at that well, point. Well, we I think don't the know. reason you... for the lack of objection... <laughs> the reason for the lack of objection was another. That is, as we pointed out in our brief, in the context of the questioning, what actually happened was... They asked the detective, what information do you, do you develop? I went, interviewed witnesses. Based on that, what did you do? I got an arrest warrant. What did you do then? I went to look for Mr. Bell and Mr. Gray. I found Mr. Bell. I could not find Mr. Gray. So what did you do next? I brought Mr. Bell in. I got a statement. Were you subsequently able to arrest Mr. Gray? There is no tying in at all of Mr. Gray to the statement of Mr. Bell. It was simply understood in its context. It's a chronology. And in fact, the decision on the arrest warrant had been made before Mr. Bell's confession was obtained. Your Honor, we believe that the trial courts need the discretion to determine what redaction best can balance the concerns of the Sixth Amendment and the needs of the trial. In any given case, a court might conclude that a Richardson redaction is appropriate. There, there is something disturbing about uh, giving to the jury a statement which is, in a sense, fictional. And in some courts, uh, counsel uh, and the judge even agree that, that there is a completely fictional statement. Uh, they haven't made it a different place when the defendant was alone in the police car when he really wasn't. Uh, this is at some, uh, at some level somewhat offensive to the system, it seems to me. I agree, Your Honor, and that is one of the factors that ought to be considered in determining whether a deletion in a particular case should be used as opposed to a rewrite of, of the confession. Or that whether is. the confession ought to come in at all in the joint trial. Well, that is, that is ultimately, Your Honor, also a possibility, certainly, whether the confession comes in at all. But certainly, um, we should respect the desire to include confessions in trials, and we should respect the importance of joint trials. Beyond that, what a trial court may use in determining how best to redact is both um, uh, matters of the practicality of the redaction, matters of the substantive communication. Does it so distort the meeting? A court may also take into account the interests of the defendant, the interests of the co-defendant, the interests of the state. And in any given confession and in any given statement, that balance may result in one form of redaction or another. Ms. Shepard, the one problem with leaving it all up to the discretion of the trial judges, uh, I've given you the response of one judge, nigh irresistible inference. Another one should say, no, there's no, not any necessary inference. It could be anybody. Mr. X could be Mr. Mr. White, Mr. Gray. Uh, so it just there's a tremendous amount of, of um, disparity if you just say, well, it's up to the trial judge. And given that range, that one would say perfectly okay to have blanks, and the other one says the jury is 
going to make that inference. I know they are, so I'm going to keep it from them. I think I understand your question. I'm not sure beyond giving the trial courts that is the ultimate rule and the ultimate goal. That is, the responsibility here is to make sure that a statement or a confession that comes in does not directly or, or by compelling or inevitable inference identify the defendant. It is possible that trial courts might have a different judgment in a particular statement, but that is almost impossible to anticipate or correct. And the judgment may change depending on the nature of the statement, too. Um, I believe it, it, might, it, it, it would not be possible to give more firm guidance than simply making sure that at the end, when the confession is admitted, it does not, in fact, expressly incriminate or inculpate. Well, you certainly could adopt a rule saying in redacting we're not going to use the fill-in-the-blank form of redaction. That would be simple enough, wouldn't it? It, it would, Your Honor, but it would not accomplish the purposes of the Sixth Amendment necessarily, that is. And again... Well, it would go a step in that direction, wouldn't it? Not necessarily, Your Honor, because it, it will come perhaps, for example, in this case, it might change the evidence as to Mr. Bell. Mr. Bell's best defense may have been here, well, I had a part in it, but it was really a small part. All I did was this. And so a co-defendant might have an interest in making sure that the fullness of their story be told. And that the redacted... Not a sufficient interest to get on the witness stand. <laughs> Absolutely, Your Honor, and we can't, we can't require him to sacrifice that. But he nevertheless has an interest in making sure that as much of his confession... Well, then you're really saying this statement was not a statement against the interest of the declarant. You're sort of describing it as a self-serving statement that ought to get in to prove that he's not as guilty as the other guy. I believe that the defendant, whether the statement is truthful or not, certainly has an interest in deciding and determining that as much as possible of the statement in the form that he gave it comes in in that fashion. So to avoid, for example, the prejudice that might occur from a statement that communicates, I, Mr. Bell, and only Mr. Bell caused this harm to a victim. That's a legitimate interest, and that's one that could be balanced out and perhaps might better be balanced out by use of a deletion or some form well, of did, reduction. Would, would, would you agree that this is, would, if the case turned on the admissibility of this statement as to whether or not it was against the declarant's penal interest, would you agree that it probably does not meet that test? Because there are substantial uh, um, exculpatory or, uh, or mitigating uh, reasons why he might want to make that statement? That's a little difficult for me to answer, Justice Kennedy. I suspect because we are the state, we would be in a position to argue that um, much of that statement would come in as a Well, was any objection ever made on the ground, not that there would be Bruton ground, but on the ground that it was not a permissible exception to the Confrontation Clause otherwise? Um, not otherwise, Your Honor. The, the so the Bruton ground was the only one asserted? Yes, Your Honor. The uh, benefits... I think your, sorry, your time has expired, Ms. Shepard. Uh, Mr. McLeese, we'll hear from you. Mr. Chief Justice, and may it please the Court. In Richardson, the Court rejected a Confrontation Clause challenge to one category of redacted confession, those which make no mention at all of the existence of the complaining defendant. Our submission in the present case is that the court should reach the same conclusion as to a second category of redacted confession, those which do not name or describe the complaining defendant. Such confessions do not vividly and facially incriminate the complaining defendant and thus are quite different from the confession at issue in Brute. In addition, the cost of expanding... Well, I think we're really talking about the fill-in-the-blank sort of approach here for redaction. To, to answer that question... Why, why don't we just eliminate that? Well, there would be costs to that if what you mean is a manner of redaction that would not be apparent to the jury at all. So the jury would not know that there had been any redaction at all. Possible. You avoid fill in the blanks. It was sure possible here. You easily could have redacted this one so that you didn't leave it deletion, deletion. One could have... It's an obvious fill in the blank sort of effect. One could have deleted, one could have redacted this confession so that you didn't have the obvious blanks. I think it would have been impossible while still using the signed confession to redact it in a way so that it would not have been apparent to the jury that there had been some kind of redaction that took place. But to use this case as an example, I don't think that the fact that there, the, the, the redaction was achieved here by using deletion, something that was not the subject of an objection, 
sufficiently or significantly increase the risks that the jury would infer that Bell named Petitioner. There were a number of deletions. There were a number of names that were deleted. So the jury would not have, had it been inclined to speculate, had it been inclined to disregard its instructions not to do that, it would not have reached the natural conclusion that these deletions must be driven by the fact that Petitioner must have, uh, the declarant must have named Petitioner, because a number of names were deleted. The jury, had it speculated, well, could have concluded only. the uh, uh, Bell and Tank, I think, is all we're talking about. I don't think the jury here, had it been inclined to speculate, would have had any reason to speculate that the names in Bell's confession happened to map on to Bell and Tank as opposed to other names uh, in this group. Except that there would have been no reason to delete the names of third parties who are not involved in the courtroom. Well, nor, nor, nor Tank was not involved in this courtroom either, and the jury, again, had it been inclined to speculate and disregard instructions, would have had no reason to surmise that, uh, had, had no reason to think that Tank's name would need to be deleted. Uh, I think if the jury had been speculating, it would have been speculating only that whoever Bell named, there must be some rule that says that all those names don't come in. And the jury would have had no reason to guess that among the people Bell named uh, uh, was Petitioner. There would have been, on the facts of this case, that deletion would not have been a red flag that would have taken the jury anywhere, even if the jury had been inclined to try to follow that up. And if, again, if we find that there is a powerful, compelling inference that the, uh, the defendant is the uh, person named in the confession, disagreeing with your analysis, uh, and if we were writing on a clean slate, no Bruton, would there be any way to admit this statement? I think that... I don't think that even with a slate that includes Bruton, the conclusion that you describe would dictate an unfavorable answer for the, for, for the state here. And what I mean by that is the following. I, I think that Richardson, for example, makes clear that this area does not turn on the mere even certainty that the jury will end up through a chain of inference reaching a conclusion that evidence is incriminating but must be set aside. What Richardson says is even where through a chain of inference the jury may get to that point, we can trust juries as we trust them to set aside other things, many other things, to set that aside that Bruton is a very narrow exception to that rule that arises in circumstances where as a self-contained unit, the confession comes in in a form that says, this person committed the offense with me. So it's not, I don't think that even if one were to conclude that the inference is one that the jury would have drawn in a particular case eventually had it sat down and done everything. Uh, I don't think that, that, that supports the, the conclusion that there was a Bruton violation. McLeish, uh, what's the worst kind of a, a, of a different situation in which uh, we trust the, uh, the jury to uh, obey an instruction from the judge not to uh, consider what it has just heard? What, what can, uh, two cases come to mind. Give me another example that's as bad as this. Well, two come to mind. Spencer versus Texas is a case in which at the defendant's murder trial, the jury is informed that the defendant has a prior murder conviction and is told, do not consider that in determining guilt or innocence. Set that aside when you determine guilt or innocence. Consider it solely for purposes of the appropriate sentence that you will later impose in a single guilt and sentencing proceeding. Uh, another uh, uh, comparable example is Harris versus... As persuasive as it, it might have been, because most states, as it, after that, had taken a different view on separating sentencing from guilt, just because of the obvious risk of prejudice in that very situation. So you sort of have a general consensus of that case. Maybe there's no constitutional violation, but there was obvious unfairness there. But the relevant inquiry here is whether the risk of jury inability to set aside incriminating evidence is a constitutional violation. And what Spencer versus Texas said, whatever jurisdictions they well, have Well, if, if they do, no, no doubt about the fact, if they did treat this as admissible against uh, the co-defendant, it would be a blatant constitutional violation. You would agree with that? I do agree with that. The other uh, answer to your question, Justice Scalia, is uh, Harris versus New York, where statements that are taken illegally in violation of Miranda are admitted to the jury, and the jury is told, you may consider this confession, this statement, solely for purposes of assessing the credibility, the testimonial credibility of the defendant. You must set it aside as it might be considered substantive evidence of the, of the defendant's guilt. So, so what, what is the, uh, you can't substitute for the defendant's name a, a concrete description. You couldn't say the man with the red hair and the limp. No, no the rule that right, we... So, so what, is the, what is the rule, in your opinion, about when a blank separated by commas or some other uh, pictorial depiction in a, in a written confession is equivalent to 
the red-eyed man or red-haired man with the limp. What's the, how, how would you decide that one? The rule we propose is limited to confessions which does, do not contain additional descriptive information of the kind that you suggest. But, but why, if in fact, I think one argument is that a blank separated by commas in the circumstance is quite close to a particular description because the, it sets the jury to thinking and they see blank, blank, and some other guys, and they know who that is, just as if it said the red-haired man with the limp. As this case illustrates... So what's the test to decide whether they're right or not? In, in the, how, how would you formulate the test that would distinguish the blanks, or however you want to... With respect to confessions that, uh, confessions that are, even as redacted, contain additional descriptive information, when that descriptive information is so vividly and obviously linked to the defendant, the example that comes to mind is this court's decision in Harrington. Vivid and obvious. And if not that, if we accepted their view, are there many, many uh, retrials that would be necessary throughout the country? That is to say, if this interpretation of the Constitution of the United States, uh, is it, in other words, has it been a habit of prosecutors simply to redact through the use of a blank with a comma? I think that that is a, a widely redaction that would be apparent to the jury, perhaps, but that deletes the names is a relatively common practice in the state and federal systems. Well, where, where you say physically deletion, deletion, as opposed to simply leaving it out? I, that is less So clear. that it says me and other guys instead of me, deletion, deletion, and a bunch of other guys. Th that is less clear. I think it's very, it's, we very don't hard, know. it's very hard to tell how common a practice that is. I think they, I would assume, am I fair, is it fair to assume that if you thought this practice were common, you would have told us that? You would have gotten complaints? If I were aware that it were common, I certainly would have. Uh, so but people haven't been complaining to you about it. I mean, the case is well publicized and people know about it. Prosecutors know about it. Is it a fair assumption from the fact that you don't know about it that this is not a common practice? That is, when you say this is not a common practice... Or the use of the word deletion, deletion. In the federal system, there certainly is not a, lower, a lot of lower court case law addressing that particular method of redaction. Could that there, be because of the warning that this court gave in Moss, the footnote that says we express no opinion on the admissibility of a confession in which the defendant's name has been replaced with a symbol? I should be clear that, on the other hand, redactions that continue to describe the role of the unnamed other participants, but by use of terms other than deletion, like the other guy or him, that is an extremely common practice in the federal courts there is, and has, has met widespread acceptance in the lower federal courts. In fact, the overwhelming weight of authority in the federal courts is to approve that practice. But I think when Justice O'Connor started reading how this might have been presented, and she said, me, and if you are the guys, that is a distinction from me and delete, delete. That's true. We don't think the constitutional answer turns on that distinction. Thank you, Mr. McLeese. Uh, Mr. Delano, you have 11 minutes remaining. Uh, Your Honor, in answer to... Is, is, is the proper pronunciation of your name Delano or Delano? Uh, that's a source of confusion even within my own family, but <laughs> we, uh, we use the pronunciation Delano. Delano, okay. In answer to the uh, court's question about whether this was preserved or not, uh, counsel at the end of the uh, hearing uh, on the admissibility of the statement uh, clearly indicated that they objected to this statement as admitted and clearly pointed out to the court that the statement uh, as redacted strengthened the case of uh, against uh, petitioner. But what, what was objection made on the non-Bruton ground, that it just was a, was a violation of, of perhaps a confrontation clause on some other basis? No, Your Honor. The only objection was on the Bruton ground. And at trial, uh, petitioner was granted a continuing objection to any testimony concerning the statement, and uh, it was clear that this point was preserved. And I would also point out that the preservation argument had never been presented in any Maryland court and was not presented to this court in the brief in opposition, so I really don't believe that issue is properly before the court. Uh, in answer to Justice Breyer's question concerning the use of deletions, um, in my brief I cited five state courts that have uh, condemned the practice and three circuit courts, including uh, Judge Friendly's uh, 
opinion where they condemn the practice of deletion even in those states that have adopted the so-called uh, facial implication doctrine. I could find no cases in which... How are they supposed to do it? Presumably there's a physical document with some writing on it, and the physical document then has some names on it. And so how, in your opinion, is, the, uh, is this piece of paper supposed to be presented into evidence? I would su suppose that the piece of paper would have to be uh, retyped or rewritten. Uh, and you can't submit the original? Perhaps you might not be able to submit what do you, the original. When you say perhaps, I mean, well, it, what precisely do you think is supposed to happen? If it showed a blank space, you would not be able to present the original. Uh, the, the prosecution has the option of, of substituting a, a typewritten but more importantly, the prosecution has the option at trial of, of testifying as to what the actual statement said. So it's not that they're not going to get what the statement has in evidence. They might not get the actual statement in. Who would testify? The officer, as in this case, the officer who took the statement. He's the one who testified as to what was in the statement, and he's the one who offered the statement into evidence. And he would, he would testify and, and uh, slightly modify what, what he actually heard. Yes, as in this case, he modified yeah. what he heard by saying deleted and deletion. He could have modified it and omitted the deleted and deletion. Is it the case going to be the case when we get into this record and so forth, we'll find that you didn't, that there's no one suggesting that the way to do this is to simply read the confession and leave the names out? That is correct, Your Honor. How are we supposed to deal with that, that, that this alternative wasn't presented to the judge? Under Maryland evidentiary law, the, the Court of Special Appeals and the Court of Appeals were uh, of the mind that this issue had been preserved. And again, the issue had not been uh, presented uh, uh, by respondent in, in, uh, in, in their, any form of a cross petition. So I don't believe that that's necessary for the court to reach that issue. I think it has been reached by the Maryland courts and decided that this was preserved as far as Maryland evidentiary law was concerned. You're telling us that when we go to the objection, what we will find is something that says in so many words, the confession ought to be kept out because this is not good enough under Bruton, something like that. that the objection was entirely under Bruton. Richardson was not mentioned. And at the end, uh, the, the, the word, I may be uh, paraphrasing slightly, but the language was that this, this clearly strengthens the, the case, that the, the redactions are not sufficient, that it's still under Bruton, uh, incriminates uh, the petitioner and it strengthens the case against petitioner. So that the only thing you didn't do was, was get up and say, uh, I'll tell you how to do it right. That is correct. The counsel, the defense counsel did not suggest an alternative, but I don't believe that the defense counsel had that, that absolute responsibility under Maryland law. And uh, without um, trying to lessen the significance of the deletions, because I in agree entirely with the court that that is the, the most uh, damaging part in this case. Uh, I would point out that the way that the deletions were done in this case, they used the term uh, deletion and in juxtaposition to the term several other witnesses. That language basically paralleled the, the testimony at trial. It was always name, name, and several other guys. So it, we, we're not here strictly with a case of deletion. We're here in, with a case of deletion plus several other guys, and I think that uh, uh, only uh, aggravates the, the uh, or increases the potential for prejudice. Unless the court has any other questions, I would submit. Thank you, Mr. Dallin. Other cases submitted.